Good morning. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we will not fear. Amen. Would you stand with me as we open and worship this morning, singing about the unshakable love of God. Sing with me. He is my rock, my shield, my fortress. He's my salvation and my strength. The courts of death, they were surrounding me, but he heard my cry for death. He is my refuge, my high tower. He's my deliverer, too strong. The snares of death, they were. God will never change. 
so I'll stand in trust. I'll stand in faith. I will not be shaken. Our God will not be moved. Our God will never change. Our God will reign forevermore. Oh, our God will not be moved. Our God will never change. Our God will reign forevermore. Forevermore. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It's great to see you here in worship today. Thank you for making time to come and be a part of this. And we pray that today will be a great day to worship Him. Amen. I do want to ask you, if you are a guest of ours, to please take a moment. There's a care card located in the pew rack in front of you. If you'll take one of those and fill in your information, we want to have a record of you being here. There's a place for you to request information about our church, and we might want to get that into your hands. And then on the back of the care card is a place for all of us to fill in any prayer requests. If you have a prayer need, please fill that in. As you leave today, you can place those in the boxes on the round tables, and we'll make sure they get to the right people uh, and be praying over those things. So take a moment to do that. And again, thank you for being with us today in worship. Our Operation Christmas Child projects are in full swing. Next week will be our in-gathering day for our church's boxes. Uh, we'll have a time in the service to bring them down front. Uh, you can also put them down here before the service starts. There are items from our ladies' sewing ministry in the lobby. If you would like to go by and get some of those to put in your boxes. And so go by and check those out. There's some really cool stuff they've done there uh, to put in your shoe box. So please go by and get that. Uh, we are a drop-off point. So that entire next week, uh, I'm sure there are still slots to fill to help with that. And so go by the table in the foyer to sign up that, for that. And we need help on Monday. November 21st to load the trucks for final pack. So if some of the men that are here could help us that morning, please go by and sign up. That would be a huge help uh, to finish that up and send them down to the processing center. The Baptist State Convention of North Carolina annual meeting has kind of snuck up on us. It is tomorrow and Tuesday. Uh, we'll be electing messengers at the end of this service. Uh, we already have four of those. So we have the maximum of a possibility of 10. So we need uh, hopefully six more of you to volunteer, uh, and we'll have more detail uh, about that. I know there's a bus leaving on Tuesday at 7 and be back at 5 if you would like to have a ride. But be thinking about that, and Pastor Scott will be asking for volunteers uh, at the end of the service. So be thinking about uh, whether or not you could be a part of that for our church and be a messenger. There's also a church breakfast and work day next Saturday at 8 o'clock. Uh, we have work projects here on campus, and I know of at least one off campus, and so if you can come be a part of that, that's at 8 o'clock. There is a sign-up sheet at the information desk in the foyer. Please go by to make sure we know how many to prepare for uh, for that. Then also this Wednesday, uh, one of our church members, uh, Parks Cranford, passed away, and so this Wednesday will be his service. Visitation is at 1230, and the service here in the sanctuary at 2, and the burial is here at our cemetery. So uh, be thinking about uh, that and the family, be praying for them. Uh, for that. 
But again, thank you for being with us. We do have a special guest with us today. Uh, Navigator Gome is here with us. He is the president of the Bible College in Ncheu, uh, Africa, Malawi, Africa. Our youth are planning to work with him over the next spring break. And so in just a moment after we pray, he is going to come and share his testimony and some things about what is going on over in Ncheu. And we want to give you a chance to meet him and see some of the pictures. Many of us who have been on those trips have met him, and uh, we, we appreciate his ministry there uh, in Africa. And he'll be coming to speak with us in just a moment. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then he'll come and share. Can we pray together? God, we thank you for all you do for us. And God, we are, are glad that you never change, God. You do not sway. God, you are uh, a solid foundation for us to trust in. And God, I pray we would uh, remember that. Uh, we know that uh, our Savior and our Lord is not in Washington, D.C. He is in heaven, and he is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we thank you for that. God, we pray that even this week, uh, your will would be done on Tuesday, that you would place uh, the people that you have in leadership positions, God, and that we as the church uh, would be a voice. We would rise up and, and share the truth. God, loving people is sharing them with them your truth. And I pray we would be willing to do that as your church. God, we pray for this service today. We pray for uh, Navigator as he comes in a moment, that you'd be with him and his words, and also with our pastor, God, in the message that you have given him. God, just speak through his mouth and challenge our hearts today. We worship you and praise you, God, and thank you for who you are and all of God's people said. Thank you, Pastor, and the congregation. My name is Navigator Smiro Gome. I'm coming from Malawi, Africa, as uh, Pastor has already said. I'm a married man with a family of four children. And I came to know the Lord in 1996 when I was 17 years old. What happened then was uh, I went to visit my father who was working for a missionary, American missionary as a security guard. I when the school was closed, I went to visit. It was upon a visitation there that a missionary, this missionary came and asked me a question, if I am a Christian, I told him no, but I will be in two weeks time. Uh, my response uh, confused him. said, what do you mean in two weeks' time you will be a Christian? I said, it's when I will be baptized. I'm taking classes for baptism. So in two weeks' time, I will be baptized. Uh, then he said, come. Then we had to sit down. He started explaining to me about uh, the gospel. To me, when I was growing up, I knew to be a Christian, you have to be baptized. Because whenever I was going to church, specifically when the time of to recite apostolic faith, announcements were going that, okay, 
it's now those who are Christians, they have to stand up to recite the apostolic faith. If you are not baptized, you are not supposed to. So my growing, it, it was always knowing that I need to be baptized for me to be a Christian. So this missionary, he took time, almost two hours, explaining the gospel to me. Uh, after discussion, because I had so much question asking, what do you mean this, what is this, what is that? Then I was convinced and convicted uh, on that night, it was evening, I called upon the name of the Lord and I got saved. Uh, after some weeks, I had to return back to the village. It was uh, at the village I had to stay some time. So my growth in Christianity was not imminent because I had no one to disciple me. Until 1999 when uh, I went back to town, to the city, and I met Dr. Gentry, uh, just a brief. Then he came back to Malawi in April, the year 2000. So it was that 2000 when he had in, uh, started discipling me, uh, with some missionaries coming, visiting. So after discipling, it's when even the calling uh, to the ministry, I could feel the call to the ministry. So in 2001, I started uh, uh, preaching here and there, evangelizing, and so forth. I had opportunity, of course, to go to the Bible college later on, uh, but I, I could not go because of uh, lack of funds. I quit school at, on grade 10. The Bible college wanted a grade 12 certificate. I could not go. But the faithfulness of God, Later on, I managed to finish school, uh, homeschool, then I went to the Bible College in Zambia. That was 2010, from 2010 to 2013-14. Then when I went back to Malawi, it's when we started the, this, the current ministry I'm doing with the help of Pastor Mark Logan. So currently, I'm at, the, at Good Samaritan Bible College uh, teaching and supervising the works there. Uh, so I want to thank God uh, for the, the pastor and the church for allowing me to stand before you and present uh, the work of our Lord. I need also to thank uh, Brother Robe. Uh, Brother Robe, I've known him since he came to Malawi. He was uh, with me when he came uh, driving him almost all the areas we wanted to go. So the first time I came, we had to go to Ncheu, where they did the work of putting the roof of the church there. Since then, he hasn't come back, uh, like uh, returning, but he has always gone forward uh, by taking some people from this side to that end, of which we have been very uh, thankful for the effort and the work of this uh, church. So Good Samaritan Bible College, we exist simply to train those people whom the Lord has called to, to the ministry. Uh, when you go to Malawi, you, yes, you will see churches, but a true gospel presentation, most of the churches, it's not there. So our existence as a college 
is to train those people who have been called by God to do the work of the ministry. So we have been doing this from 2014 uh, to, the, to this moment. So in 2016, we had our first graduation whereby we graduated 19 people. And the second graduation was in, in 2018, 24 people graduated. And the third one was in 2021, and 29 people graduated. So the Lord has been faithful to the ministry of the Bible College. We currently have about four graduates who are serving the Lord in Mozambique, and we have some in our church plants in other areas of Malawi. Now, looking forward to uh, the college, anticipation, anticipation is growth. We are anticipating for growth. As we are anticipating for this growth, particularly next year, when we are opening in January, um, we have already formed the, the number will grow up. Uh, currently, as the, the Bible College, we are enrolling people, yes? So we have a great need. Number one, in a sense, that we used to be in Blanta, so it has, the college has been shift, uh, moved to, or relocated to Ncheu. Ncheu is about two hours drive from Blanta City. You head north. That's where we are. So we have left uh, some uh, uh, structures we are using as a Bible college in Blanta at the orphanage. The orphanage is using those uh, structures. So when we went to Ncheu, we, we had no place for eating, for the, uh, the students will eat, the, will get the food, then they will put, uh, they will sit under the tree or wherever you, they will feel comfortable. But by God's grace, we built our first uh, building, the dining. Uh, the dining, that's what we have constructed so far. Uh, okay. Okay, yeah. So we have constructed the dining. Of course, this church took part in helping to put up this structure. It's not yet finished. Of course, from the back of that foundation, it's, uh -huh. there we go. This is the dining so far that we, uh, we have built at the place, at the place, at the place. Uh, with the, the help from Pastor Logan, and of course, uh, also this church took part. So I need to thank God for that. I need to thank God for that. So the current students, uh, currently, we have about 70 boys and girls, of course, with a few elder uh, men in, in the class. So there are about 70 of them. We thank God for them as well. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you, uh, you showed the foundation. Uh, we are currently meeting in the church. That's where our classes are being uh, done uh, because we do not have the classes so far. We left our classes in Blanta, the orphanage is using. So we are praying now this is the foundation which we have dug. Uh, the prayer, that's our prayer that we will 
start this one uh, by God's grace. We trust the Lord for the funds. So once again, I would, I would need to thank this church for all the effort they have been, you have been doing as we are currently uh, planning to have the team there. There's a lot of opportunities to save. There are a lot of opportunities to save. As the, I will be concluding, uh, this is a missionary church. No wonder about that. You are doing a lot for the missions. You have a heart for missions. So that has to be recommended. Uh, we are having the youth camping ministry planned. Uh, Brother Robe and I, we are working hand in hand that this ministry will have to uh, go well uh, because our sign says that youth camp. But for the first time, we had one last year, but all these years we didn't have one. So it was a kind of a trial. It was successful. So I'm looking forward, very much forward, to the assistance in the ministry of youth and camping at this place, uh, Ncheo, and also a kind of uh, a text from uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 7. I just have to just borrow the, uh, the principle of uh, partnering. Uh, you, you know the context is uh, Jesus Christ is calling, is, uh, has taught Peter to cast his net, then he caught a multitude of fish. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled their boat, the boats so that they began to sink. Peter and his friends, they caught the fish, but their, their boats, the ship, it could not hold. They called their friends. They signaled to their friends, come and help. I want to borrow that principle of partnering for you have already done so much for us in the past. My prayer is that you will also partner us in the feathering of the ministry as we are in a new location. Once again, thank you, Pastor, for giving me this opportunity to stand before the congregation and present what is going on in Malawi. May God bless you all. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, 
to see everybody this morning, and uh, good to meet uh, and speak with Navigator a little bit. As he indicated, our young people will be going over there in the spring to Malawi. Uh, I think maybe we ought to get the congregation ready this morning uh, for Malawi and have about a four-hour worship service. How's that sound? So Jonathan has left me about three hours uh, on the clock here. Uh, to bring a message 
And uh, if I get tired, Mark Logan's here. He can jump up here and, and uh, then Navigator as well and Kevin Knight and uh, Kevin Seeger. And we can just kind of tag team preaching this morning. Uh, it is exciting to, uh, to read some of uh, what missiologists are saying today. It's sad for us in the West. Uh, missiologists are commenting on how uh, in the West, the United States and Western Europe in particular, it's almost as though the hand of God is in some ways being lifted off of our nations and continents. And the hand of God is moving mightily uh, on the African continent and also uh, in Asia. And so it's, uh, if you read about what the gospel is doing around the world, it, it is very exciting about what's going on. Uh, in places like Africa. Uh, pray for them and pray for the West that we might have revival uh, in the West because we certainly desperately need it. Uh, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to continue our series this morning in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 7 and uh, I'll be starting in verse 24 reading down through verse 30 and we're talking this morning on the subject matter, what the Lord thinks of persistent faith. Uh, verse 24, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. We stand on that promise in Isaiah 55, that your word shall not return unto you void, but it shall accomplish that which you purpose. And as Isaiah also says there, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God grant it that we might exhibit that type of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brought a little object lesson with me this morning. Of course, I, I guess everybody knows what this is, but a question for you. Do you know what the WD stands for? Water displacement. Very good. In 1953, a small company called the Rocket Chemical Company and its staff of three set out to create a line of rust prevention solvents and degreasers for the use 
in the aerospace industry. Working there in a small lab in San Diego, California, they produced a lubricant in, in uh, now what is found in almost every single American home. In fact, by 1993, WD-40 was found in four out of every five American homes and sales reached one million cans sold per week. It's even been used for some very bizarre tasks. A bus driver in Asia used WD-40 to remove a python snake which had coiled itself around the undercarriage of his bus. And oh, how about the time that police officers used WD-40 to remove a naked burglar trapped in an air conditioner vent. Now, as the, as the duct tape guys say, you only really need two tools in your toolbox. Duct tape and WD-40. They say if it's not stuck and it's supposed to be, duct tape it. If it's stuck and it's not supposed to be, WD-40 it. Now, how about the 40 in the WD? Does anybody know what the 40 stands for? Excuse me? The 40th formula. Very good. This small team of chemists that I told you about tried 39 times to produce this and each time they failed. But they kept trying. They didn't give up. And on the 40th try, they struck the jackpot. And so was born WD-40. How about that for persistence? Now, no doubt in your life, you can remember a time that perhaps you were very persistent about something. And today as you look back on that, you're glad that you were because your persistence has paid off. Now as we look at Mark chapter 7 today, we see a case of persistence. We see what the Lord thought of it and how he rewarded this lady who displayed persistence. And what do we learn? We learn that we are to have a persistence in our faith. Folks, it is always too soon to give up. The first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the desperation of a mother. Read with me again beginning in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile a Syrophoenician by birth. Now the context of this passage is that Jesus has just come through a time of controversy with the religious leaders. And we looked at that last week. They were criticizing Jesus because of the way his disciples did not wash their hands before they ate. And Jesus had a discussion with them about how they emphasized the outside. They were so concerned about outward cleanliness 
but they did not address the fact that their hearts had not been changed. They were religious on the outside, but they were not born again on the inside. And we spoke last week about the danger of having a religion that only tries to impose rules and regulations from the outside simply to bring about a conformity in looks or in appearance and doesn't address the heart. That's the context of this passage. Well, Jesus and his disciples, they leave, they travel, and they go outside of Israel. You'll notice here, perhaps the only time in the life of the Lord Jesus, aside from the birth narratives, when Mary and Joseph took him down to Egypt, this is the only time that we're aware of in Jesus' adult life that he ever left the boundaries of Israel. He goes to an area of Phoenicia to the region of Tyre. This would be modern day Lebanon. And now there may be two things behind this journey here. Jesus and his disciples needed rest. We've seen that theme before. And inside of Israel, everywhere Jesus goes, everywhere he takes his disciples to get away for a period of rest, the crowds bombard them. They're not able to rest. And so maybe by getting outside of Israel, he's thinking they can finally get this much-needed rest. Because Jews would not have followed them there. Because see, in the Jewish mindset, if they would have stepped Uh, over into the border of this region, they would have immediately been considered unclean. And so it's a genius move when you think about it. Jesus taking his disciples out of Israel. Maybe they're finally going to be able to get some of the much needed rest that they've been waiting for. But there's probably a much bigger uh, reason behind all of this. Jesus knew what would take place. And he's trying to teach them a lesson. Uh, He had not come into the world simply for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. In fact, you may remember in John chapter 10, that passage where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He told his disciples and the crowds there, I have sheep that are not of this fold. I must go and gather them likewise. Speaking of the Gentile mission. Folks, Jesus had not come into the world simply for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. It's to help us realize that he is the Savior of the world. He is not just the Savior of one nationality or ethnic group of people. He is the Savior of the world. And Jesus is going to tell his disciples that they are to go into all of the world. And so his disciples needed to catch a glimpse of the worldwide mission beyond Israel that he was going to soon commission them with. And folks, that's why it is so essential for every single body of believers to have an Acts 1 vision of missions. That we are to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the world. Is that God's will for us to have that type of vision? Absolutely. 
It's God's will because we read about that in the Word of God. It's in plain black and white. But also back to the theme of rest. Verse 24 says he entered the house and he wanted no one to know about it. And so obviously this is meant to be a time to get away. Uh, but earlier in Mark's gospel, we see that folks from this area had traveled outside of Tyre, had come down into Israel because they had heard of Jesus. And so while Jesus was still in the area of Galilee, healing the sick and casting out demons, people from this area had journeyed down to bring their sick to him. So they had even gotten word about Jesus. And they had seen his power and what he's able to do. Folks, it's like casting a rock into a pond. The ripples begin going outward. That's how the popularity of Jesus is at this point. More and more people are hearing about him. And as they're hearing about him, they're being drawn to him. And so verse 24 says, even in a place like where Jesus took his disciples here, he could not escape the notice of the crowds. And as we've seen likewise in the Gospel of Mark, here is a desperate parent who seizes the opportunity. She has a little girl with an unclean spirit. You know, to be a parent means that you not only carry your own burdens, but you also carry the burdens of your children, don't you? And it's something that we never get over. Every parent knows this. It doesn't matter how old your children get. And then after your children, your grandchildren, as a parent or a grandparent, you always have a burden for your kids. You know, one preacher said, you know, I used to have no kids and I had four theories on raising kids. Now I have four kids and I have zero theories about raising them. That's kind of how parenting is. Well, verse 26 tells us that she was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. Now, you'll recall from the Old Testament that these were some of the very worst enemies of the Jews. It was a pagan area. It was filled with false gods and idols. Jezebel was from this area. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? And yet this mom is desperate to see her little girl get the help that she needs. And so we're told that she approaches Jesus and she is asking, she is begging Jesus to come and help her little girl. And the tense is very significant. She keeps on asking, she keeps on begging. And Matthew's gospel makes a contrast here even greater. Matthew points out that the disciples keep begging Jesus to have nothing to do whatsoever with this woman while at the same time she's begging Jesus to help her she gets loud she's persistent I want you to see secondly what happens the testing of the Lord in verse 27 he said to her let the little children first be fed for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs but she answered him yes Lord yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs 
Now, we might think this is an incredibly insensitive conversation that Jesus is having with this woman. But we've got to understand what's going on here, and we've got to understand the difference in cultures. But let's think about it again at face value. Think about this. Think about all of our books of etiquette. Would you ever in any culture imply to a woman that she is a dog? Men, I don't advise it. Just about every culture around today in modern times anyway, that would be considered a definite no-no. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. But what Jesus is doing, he's testing her. And he's laying some principles down as well. A couple of them. First of all, I want you to think about the way Jesus often responds to people. For instance, how did he respond to the rich young ruler? He told the rich young ruler to go and sell everything that he had and come and follow him. And the rich young ruler wouldn't do it. And then in Luke chapter 9, when a young man runs up and says, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Where do you want me to go? I'm ready to follow you now. Jesus reminded him, foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he's telling that young man, if you come and follow me, you may not have a place to call home either. And still another young man said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and bury my parents. And what he's essentially asking is let me take care of them. They might live another 10 years. They might live another 30 years. But Lord, when I finally get my parents buried and I don't have that obligation anymore, then I'll come and follow you. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead but as for you you come and follow me folks we see something in the scriptures don't we Jesus didn't make it easy for people to follow him I'm convinced today we make it far too easy oftentimes remember Jesus said no one can come after me and be my disciple unless he denies himself think about that denying yourself denying what you want in your life denying your agenda and what you want to be about in your life he must pick up his cross a cross was an instrument of death so he must deny himself pick up his cross and follow me and Jesus told his disciples if you're not willing to do that you can't be my disciple. Folks, think of the times that we want to serve the Lord on our terms. And when it's convenient for us, we want the easy way. And folks, we look for that easy way in the New Testament of following Christ, and guess what? We don't find it. To follow Jesus is going to mean a life of counting the cost. 
It's going to be living a life of seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Putting his agenda first. Not asking so much, what do I want? Or is it good for me and my family? But Lord, is this what you're about? Is this going to further your kingdom purposes? That's what he's after in my life and in your life. And are we willing to follow him on those terms? Folks, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The Christians were first called Christians at Antioch. But we know, historically speaking, one of the reasons they were called Christians is they, they looked like little Christ. They were followers of Jesus. Their lives looked like His life. Does our life, the way we follow Him, look like Jesus? That's what it means to be a Christian. Perhaps today we need to take a page out of Jesus' evangelism strategy and not make it so easy for people to follow him. I'm not suggesting we make it more difficult than it is, but oftentimes we just say welcome to everybody when there's been no evidence whatsoever of spiritual change. Jesus seems to be making it harder for her. But let's think about what else he's doing here. He wants her to see her need. She's a dog. She's a nobody. She has no claim to God. God is not her debtor. And folks, you and I need to understand that. We do, no, we do God no favors by him having us. Some people want to act like, God, aren't you lucky to have me on your team? Lord, I mean, look at me. Look at me pastoring this church. Look at me preparing Bible studies and sermons. Lord, you ought to be glad that Team Scott is on your, on your team. That, that uh, you know, you've got me. Folks, put your own name in that. I'm nothing and you're nothing apart from him. It's all a matter of grace. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God doesn't owe me a moment out of each day. It's sheer amazing grace that he would look my way or your way, that he would love us, that he would condescend to us, and that God would send his son to be our savior. It's grace. It's all a matter of God's amazing grace. And you and I need to understand that. Another point we need to make, let's keep in mind that the Jews thought of all Gentiles as dogs because they believed the Gentiles were outside of the covenant purposes of God. And so they looked at Gentiles in a very unflattering way. And Paul even said that about the Jews who were insisting on circumcision. He called them dogs as well because they were fighting against God's gospel of grace. 
But Jesus points out to her, again made more plain in Matthew's gospel, that he had come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, he'll point out in the gospels that he came for everybody. Anyone who will can come. Whosoever will may call upon the name of the Lord. But he came first of all to his own. And you know what? That was right and proper. It's like Paul said to the Romans there in Romans chapter 9. He said, I'm heartbroken for my people, the Jews, because to them belongs the patriarchs, the covenants, the law, the prophets. And through them, as far as humanly speaking, the Messiah has even come. Paul said, my heart goes out to them. In Romans 1, he said, the gospel is for the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And that's how Paul went about his ministry. He, he would go to the houses of Jewish worship first. And only after their rejection from Acts 13 onward did he turn strictly to the Gentiles. But it was right and proper for Jesus at this point to go first of all to the Jewish people. And then as Paul points out also in Romans 9-11 through 11, in describing the Jews and Gentiles together Paul described, he gives that image of an olive tree and how the Jews would disbelieve the gospel and they would be like the natural branches broken off of the tree and then the wild olive branch, that's the Gentiles, that's you and me would be grafted in and then time it's said and done, God would graft in the natural branches again. And what Paul goes on to describe in Romans 9 through 11 is that through the Jews' unbelief, the gospel went to the Gentiles. And then when the, when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, the Jews are going to be stirred to jealousy. And so there's going to be a complete ingathering of them. Folks, it is a script unlike anything you or I would have written. Paul gets to that great doxology at the end of Romans 11 and, and he just marvels at how God is at work in the world so that the most amount of people will be saved. Not the least amount of people, but so that the most amount of people will hear the gospel and be saved. And he says, who has ever known the mind of the Lord or been his counselor? It's marvelous what God's done. God is about reaching the nations. <clears throat> Back to this woman a moment, this discussion with Jesus. When Jesus uses the term dogs, it was not the word for the mangy scavenger street dogs that roamed the neighborhoods at this period of time. The Greek word that Mark uses here is the word for little puppies. The little house pets that even back then the people had. And in a remarkable statement, she's not offended by this reference at all. She says, but yes, Lord, even the little puppies under the table feed on the children's crumbs. Now we all know the routine here, don't we? You throw your your pet a morsel from the table big mistake right and from then on come dinner time where, where are your dogs they're under the table 
Melinda growing up had this little five-pound Maltese named Bella. That was a dog with an attitude. If I've ever seen a dog with an attitude, that was a, that was a dog with a 150-pound attitude. And we made the mistake of giving Bella little morsels under the table. And from then on, if you didn't throw her a morsel under the table, I mean, that dog would get visibly angry. She really would. You could tell Bella would get angry. And she would pitch a little temper tantrum until you gave her a morsel under the table. We do that too often with our dogs. But I want you to notice the woman's answer because it's remarkable. What would so many people have said? So many people would have been offended and said, Well, I never. Did y'all just hear him? He called me a dog. And, sh- and many people would have gone their way. But she didn't do that. She could have been insulted because of her pride. Many people, not just out of pride, but for other reasons. Some people are done with God. Maybe when God doesn't do for them what they want Him to do right then and there. They're done with Him. For some... God doesn't heal a spouse or he doesn't hear, uh, heal a child. They turn away from the Lord or they want something badly in life and God doesn't give it to them. Instead of trusting that God has a bigger plan, they simply turn away. Do you know anybody like that? I've known of people like that. Folks, if we fail to understand that God is sovereign, that he knows best, it could be a temptation to turn away. But this lady doesn't do anything like that. And in a remarkable statement of humility, she says what she does. In other words, it's like she's saying, yes, Lord, I know, I realize this. I'm a dog, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the children under the table. She takes his own words and turns them right back to him. You know who she reminds me of? Do you remember Jacob in the Old Testament? Sure you do. I mean, Jacob was a scoundrel. Just read the story. He was a deceiver. He was a trickster. And when he knew that Esau was coming to meet with him, after years and years have gone by, he is scared to death that Esau is coming for revenge over the birthright that Jacob stole from. From him. And the Bible says one night Jacob got out in the wilderness alone with God, away from everybody, and he wrestled with an angel of the Lord all night and he would not turn the angel loose. And you remember what the angel did? The angel of the Lord struck him in the hip and, and crippled him a bit. But out of that encounter, what happened with Jacob? Jacob became a new man, didn't he? And God gave him a new name. Instead of Jacob, meaning the one who is a trickster, the one who is a deceiver, God said from here on out, your name will be known as Israel, one who is a prince with God, one who has wrestled with God and prevailed. Jacob wrestled with God. 
until God changed him and blessed him. And this lady right here and her persistence, that's who she reminds me of. She will not give up until Jesus has done for her what she is asking. She is like good soil and the seed has fallen in, into the soil and it's growing and it's bearing fruit. There are two times in the Gospels that Jesus is said to have marveled over somebody's faith. And do you realize both times he's speaking of a Gentile? Both times. Jesus acknowledges both her persistence and her humility. And what does he do? He does for her what she is asking. He rewards her. This woman is like others that we've already met in Luke's gospel. I think of the four men in Mark chapter 2 who carry their friend on a mat to Jesus. And because of the crowd, they go up on the roof, they dig a hole down, they lower their friend down through the roof. I also think of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18 that she goes before a judge in that parable. And, and she makes her request known and the judge will not do anything for her. And yet out of persistence, finally the judge grants her what she's after. We see this kind of persistence elsewhere in the Bible. And I think also of the Beatitudes. The Beatitude that says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Matthew eleven twelve, Jesus said, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. What's Jesus talking about there? He's talking about those who will not take no for an answer. They persist. Jesus on one occasion said, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And this woman is displaying that kind of persistent faith. She knows that she is a nobody. She knows that she has no claim in and of herself to what the Lord will do for her. And yet look at her. And look at what the Lord did, in fact, end up doing. Some of you today perhaps need to admit, you've not been getting the crumbs under the table. You've been getting a feast. The Lord has blessed you that much in your life. What are you doing with it? The religious leaders had a feast laid out before them in the Word of God. And what did they do with it? This lady's a pauper. She comes with hunger. She comes with desperation. She comes with persistence. She is an unlikely candidate for God's blessing. But that is exactly what she walks away with. The question is, are we persistent about anything? Do we have the type of faith that we won't give up? Do we pray and pray and pray over anything or anybody? Do we ever lose sleep so we can pray about something? 
Do we ever sacrifice anything in life to get along with God? When is the last time you got away from it all to get with God? When's the last time you persisted over something to the point that you would not give up? Folks, that may be one blessing that will come to the American church if all of a sudden it becomes very hard and very difficult to be a Christian. We have to persist. We have to go out of our way. We have to have this never give up type of discipleship that hangs in there to the very end. It's the type of disciples Jesus is calling us to be. Some of you today are like this woman. You know exactly how she feels. You've been in her shoes. You've had a burden over a child or a grandchild or you've had a burden over something. What did you do with that burden? What did you do with that desperation? To others, I might be speaking to this morning, uh, you're not desperate enough, you're so complacent and happy and home in the culture, you're not going to go out of your way for anything. What shoes are you in this morning? You remember what David said in Psalm 51? He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Folks, the Bible is full of illustrations of people who didn't immediately get what they wanted, and yet they persisted in their faith, and God blessed them. Matthew's gospel records other occasions where people were told to endure and persist and never give up. I think of Matthew 10. Jesus was preparing to send his disciples out on mission. And maybe visions of glory and grandeur were filling their minds. Maybe they were envisioning some type of honor that would come to them from other people. Unless they have that kind of false expectation. Jesus gave them a description of what they could expect. He said they would be rejected. They would be hated. They would be persecuted. Some of them would even be put to death. And you can almost see the reaction in their faces. And then he said something every believer today needs to hear he said he that endures to the end shall be saved in other words Jesus is telling them it's not so much the beginning of their ministry but the completion of their ministry that's going to be important it's not just how you start it's how you finish and then in Matthew 24, the second time Jesus commended this type of persistence was, was over talk concerning the end of the world and what's going to happen. He said his disciples could expect wars and famines and earthquakes earthquakes and droughts as the world comes to an end he said we will get persecution rejection and even be killed and false prophets will be running around saying I am the Christ and then once again Jesus gave this statement but he who endures to the end shall be saved what's Jesus saying folks Following him is not always going to be a bed of roses. We're not always going to get what we want when we want it right away. 
but we're to persist. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not that endurance is what saves you, but a saving faith will endure. A saving faith, a genuine faith has endurance built into it. You will endure if you're his disciple. And so you're to persist. Whether it's an issue in your life like this lady here had, a burden over a child or a burden over something else in your life, or whether it's tough times that you're up against for being a believer, the challenge for you and me is that we'll persist. That we'll never give up. That we'll put our pleas before the Lord. That we will follow Him and call upon Him no matter what. And we will hang in there until He shows us His will. Isn't that the kind of faith you want to have? Persistent faith. Not a faith that's offended at the least little thing that happens. Oh, some people get so easily offended. Even in churches today, let let's, the Sunday school teacher say something that they don't like. They're offended. Let the preacher say something they don't like. Let somebody, they're offended and, and, and they'll leave. Or as I mentioned a moment ago, God doesn't do something for somebody the way they want him to. And they give up on him. Hang in there. Whatever it is that's on your heart. That you're taking before the Lord. It's always too soon to quit. Endure. Some takeaways this morning, cast all your cares upon God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your care upon Him because He cares for you. You know, in 1 Peter 5, the Lord talks there through Simon Peter about the fact that we have an enemy, Satan. He's like a roaring lion. He's seeking somebody to devour. And in that same chapter, Peter reminds uh, those in his congregations, do you have cares in your life? Yes, it's a tough world and we have an enemy and things don't always go our way. And because of that, disciples are filled with care all the time. But cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Aren't you glad God loves us? And those burdens on our hearts that are too big for us to carry, we can roll them over onto God. He's more than sufficient. He's the all-sufficient one. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He, he's, he's omnipresent. God is all-powerful. And when you get to the end of your rope, God can give you the strength that He wants you to have. And you know what? He may answer your persistent prayer a little different even than you were praying. And yes, God does sometimes say no. And sometimes in looking back on the situation, you're glad that God said no at the time. But God does care for His people. 
We never have to question that. All we have to do is look at Calvary's cross at the backdrop. What he did for us in Jesus. He cares for you. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Jesus said, those who are heavy laden and burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my burden is easy and my load is light. Second takeaway I want you to see is God values humility, brokenness, and persistence. And I want you to remember something, folks, and I don't mean this offensive, but there's a sense in which we are all dogs. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And again, folks, I want to point out, God doesn't owe you or me anything. God is in debt to no man or woman. We don't deserve a seat at God's table. We, I don't even deserve the crumbs under the table. It is only by God's amazing grace that God would even glance my way and save me and provide for me. And I want you to remember that as you go before the Lord. He doesn't owe you what you might be asking for. Don't go before him making demands out of some kind of heart of pride. God, you've got to do this. But go with a persistent humility, recognizing you don't deserve his good gifts. But Lord, in my brokenness and humility, I'm asking for your gifts anyway. That's how we need to go before God. Father, thank you for this story. Again, a story where some people might be offended. Even some people at the time might have been offended by Jesus' words. But I thank you for the heart and the faith of this dear woman. And what we learn from her, though she was a Gentile, but she teaches lessons of faith to all of the disciples of Jesus, not only at that time, but even down to today. Lord, help us to have her type of persistent faith. Her type of humility. God, I pray that we would see it today in our own discipleship and in the discipleship of others in church. That we would have that attitude that it's always too soon to quit. And we won't let hindrances turn us back. We'll press on. We'll count the cost. And we'll follow Jesus and what he says. Lord, I pray for that one this morning who may be dealing with something in their life right now that they're quite desperate over. I could be speaking to somebody with a child in a situation that they've just been begging you to touch their child God I pray that this morning they would determine to keep praying keep asking be persistent in their prayers never give up until you intervene in their situation 
for the one dealing with something difficult in their lives, maybe a decision they're being called on to make, that they would cast that care before you. Father, I pray that we would come to understand as the church in the West in 2022 that it's sometimes very difficult to follow you. We do have to persist. We do have to hang in there. Lord, give us that type of fortitude and endurance. And I pray for that one who you've been working on their heart and they need to come to Christ today. Even as that Syrophoenician woman heard that Jesus was in town and ran to see him, Lord, that they would come to you today with the petition on their heart, Lord, save me. I need you. And in my brokenness and humility, I'm coming to you for you to do in my life what I've not been able to do for myself. Lord, speak to that person this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.